If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. Welcome to Back in America, the podcast. Nancy Board knows all about long-distance relationships. Her husband is Seattle adventurer Erdin Arouche. He's finally home after spending nearly a year rowing across the Pacific Ocean by himself. Arouche set a world record with 312 continuous days at sea. He went nearly eight months without seeing another human being. Seattle adventurer Erdan Arouche recently completed a five-year journey to circumnavigate the globe under his own power. Moved into action by the death of his good friend, Garan Krop, Erdan would use his life savings and put his marriage on hold to complete his goal. It would never be easy. Tested by nature, drained financially, and emotionally spent, Erdan would keep going, keep moving forward, by boat, bike, and boot. I, I lost focus. I got into a severe depression, and uh, Nancy was there to stand by during that time. Hello, everyone. I'm Stan Bertelut, and this is Back in America. Today, I am speaking with Nancy Board and her husband, Erden Eroke who are joining me via Skype from their home in Seattle. When I prepared this interview, I realized that our talk will be complex and fascinating. It is complex because there are so many stories to talk about and fascinating because the two of you are truly exceptional. Erden, you completed the first solo circumnavigation by human power in five years and 11 days, during which you covered over 50,000 miles. You did that on a 24-foot ocean rowing boat during an adventure known as the Around and Over Expedition. You have countless awards and 15 Guinness World Records. Nancy, you are the co-founder and CEO of Global Women for Wellbeing, as well as the Clinical Services Manager at the Washington State Employee Assistance Program. You spend your career focusing on mental health and mental well-being, and today, your organization strives to empower women to create better health and well-being for themselves, their businesses, and their communities. So in the first part of our discussion today, I would like to understand the relationship that has tied you together even when, 11 years ago, Erden left for his five years adventure. I know, Nancy, that you've been like a lighthouse, an anchor, and maybe even a life jacket at time for your husband. And in the second part of this interview, I will ask you to talk about the Midgard expedition. And again, I will ask Nancy how the two of you are preparing for it. So welcome, Nancy and Erden. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, thank you. Nancy, let's start with you. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in the middle of Missouri in a tiny town in the middle of this country called Perryville, Missouri. 
And at that time, I had no idea that this was in my future whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, I know a little bit about you, Eldon, but can you tell us where you grew up? I was born in Cyprus. I grew up in Turkey. Then I came to the United States in 1986 for graduate studies and ended up staying. Yeah. So when or where did you both meet? Well... We met in Chicago at my office in May of 2000. Erden, <laughs> what drew you to Nancy? I think her openness and willingness to start a conversation. She walked up to me in the coffee room and <laughs> asked, uh, how come we haven't met before? And I said, well, I work in Seattle, you work in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, she goes, what do you do in Seattle? I said, would you like to know what I'd rather do? And then I told her uh, I'd like to go around the world by human power. That was really our introduction. Uh, already, okay. So flinch. you knew where you were stepping into, right? Yeah. She didn't <laughs> oh, flinch. yeah. I knew from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> so w what about you, Nancy? You know, when you saw that guy there, yeah. what yeah. did you think? He walked over and we shook hands and I looked into his eyes and I saw this depth that I normally don't see when I look into someone's eyes. And I was intrigued from the very beginning. And after shaking hands, there was energy that was left in my palm. And I thought, what, what, what is this? That doesn't happen when I meet people. And I meet people all over the world. Erden, uh, back to you. How were you when you first realized that you had an appetite for extreme achievements? <laughs> My father introduced me to uh, mountaineering at age 11. I started young and then started, stayed active in sports through uh, middle school, high school, into my university years. And I always read books about high altitude climbing and big wall climbing and so and polar exploration. So reading uh, drew me in about these exploits. So I think the idea was seeded very early on that I would do it myself, that I would want to go out and pursue such goals came later. Uh, one of the tragedies of life is that I lost Joran while climbing together, Joran Krop. Uh, he had bicycled from Sweden to Nepal in 1996. He was famous for that, and he had encouraged me to get started. Until then, uh, I had done weekend jaunts, and I was a weekend warrior, uh, but hadn't committed to bigger adventures, big and bigger expeditions. Uh, that loss was the turning point for me, and then I didn't look back after that. So. Yeah, I mean, you you lose your your friend in a climb, climbing accident, uh, and you sort of commit yourself to do this uh, around the world rowing expedition to pay tribute to your friend. Is that it? Well, I wanted to go around the world by human power, and Once I lost him in September of 2002 on the way back from his funeral in November uh, in Stockholm, 
On the plane, I drew the world map on a piece of paper and marked the highest summit on each continent except Antarctica. And uh, I said, I'm going to go to each one of these by human power in memory of Joran. So I would not only do my uh, own journey around the world, but I would go to these summits as well, mm. which would be in his memory. So that's how it came about. The first summit that I did was Mount McKinley. And so the accident happened September. I decided in November I started bicycling north from Seattle toward Alaska February 1st, towing my climbing gear behind me on a trailer just like Joran had to Everest. Mm -hmm. It was winter conditions, icy snow-bound roads, British Columbia and Yukon all the way to Alaska. And uh, with two friends joined me. We walked in the length of the Kahiltna Glacier using snowshoes and a sled. And two other friends brought in extra supplies to base camp. We carried on to the summit. So that Mount McKinley was done. I flew off the mountain and married Nancy. <laughs> she flew home. I bicycled back. That was our honeymoon. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and and Nancy, smart. I mean, where were you and, and what went through your head when you heard for the first time that Erdogan had decided to do that crazy yeah. around the globe thing? Well, remember, when I first met him, he told me that he had this dream to go around the world by human power. My first reaction was, who dreams that big? I mean, seriously, I grew up in a small town in the middle of the U.S. I didn't know the names of mountains. Uh, now I do. But I didn't even realize that there were these huge mountains and that somebody had a dream so big about the world like he did. So I was fascinated. I felt confident and sure enough about who I was. I was happy with my career and I was happy in my place in life that being with somebody who had a dream like this was not only inspiring for me, but it was something that I could truly get my head around. If you can imagine, mm -hmm. I'm not your ordinary person who wants their partner to be in their life all the time. I probably would not work very well with somebody like that. So the fact that he had a dream was intriguing and inspiring. And I was 100% supportive every step of the way. When the accident happened and Euron died, it was crystal clear to me then on a much deeper, maybe spiritual level, if you will, that it was time for him to begin this journey, that he could no longer talk about it, that the baton, if you will, had been passed mm -hmm. to him and it was time for him to go. We knew that, I think, at a deep level inside. And so there was no question in my mind that it was time for him to go. It was either if you still want to do this expedition, then make it happen. Right. You can no longer wait for approval or sponsorships or anybody mm -hmm. else in the world to say it's okay. It's between us if it's okay. And so it, it began that way, and, and we never looked back. So she was on a business trip when the accident yeah. happened. She came back a couple of days later. We sat across the table, and I told her I must do this now. She said, yes, you will. And we didn't look back. Wow. What kind of journey was it for you? What did it allow you to do? Um, You know, you've been fighting the element. You've been alone. Uh, you, I read how difficult uh, it must have been. I think the journey, in my mind, proved to me that 
when I set my mind to a challenge of this sort, I will do everything in my power to make it happen. I will apply all my resources. I will pull no stops and I will carry on toward the destination. But I am resourceful enough to take a step back, reconsider, make sure that survival is guaranteed and that I do not take unnecessary risks. As difficult as this was, I survived. I made it across three big oceans. I made it across difficult uh, waters in a sea kayak. I traveled across continents where I wasn't always safe, but I also found that I could count on humanity, that uh, the journey provided. As long as I served the journey, the journey provided, others found a place for themselves in the journey. It was the journey that drew them in. It wasn't necessarily me. I was just yet another person, another face. But when they saw my loaded bicycle or this yellow, odd rowboat coming from the horizon to their shores, they wanted to know what this was about, what the story was. And then when they realized the extent of it, how big it was, that it was bigger than me, they signed on and they became my biggest supporters. It never failed. So I could leave one shore with full confidence that on the other shore, I will find just the right people to help me complete this. And what do you say to people that, you know, look at your achievement or achievements of, you know, people that climb the, you know, high mountain and stuff and who were like, why, you know, why doing that? I know it's a very basic question and yet most of us have it, right? Mm. I think for me, it comes down to demonstrating mastery. It's an environment as wild as it is with variables that I can't control. It allows me to grow to meet that challenge. These expeditions uh, require me to be prepared for the unknown and to be able to handle any challenge that could arise during that journey. It allows me to be self-reliant. It empowers me to be out there. So when I am in the city, uh, as we all are, we rely on the society to provide the cushion If we falter, if we trip, there will always be someone coming to aid. Uh, there will be distractions and aid coming to our, <laughs> coming our way at all times. But out there, I'm focused. I am in charge of my destiny. I Everything I do, all the results that I get are asked straight from me. So... I cannot make excuses as exposed as I am. I also enjoy that responsibility. So I think it's all about empowerment and demonstration of mastery. That's where it comes down to for me. Right. Okay. Um, 
how did it feel after five years of this incredible adventure to come back home? It was not simple. Uh, the journey had been my compass. It had been my rudder. I had applied all my resources to getting it done. I now realized that I had expectations that if I succeeded and uh, piled on all these Guinness World Records, 14 of them registered during the journey, uh, that I would come back and have our nonprofit that we established to educate and inspire, especially children, be a vehicle to tell the story. And uh, there was not enough coverage. There was not enough engagement by the society. So I felt all of a sudden that uh, it was all for naught. And I wallowed. So Nancy, now that's, that's your... That's your expertise, right? Mental health. Yes. How is. did you how did you step up to the task? One day it hit me very clearly that I could possibly lose him, not because of an accident out in the expedition, but that he would become so depressed that he may make a choice and he didn't want to be a burden on me. And I knew that he was smart enough, resourceful enough, and if he was depressed enough, particularly a man of his age, because statistically there are lots of people who commit suicide in this world, and men do that on a fairly regular basis, whether people are aware of those stats or not. And it became clear to me that, oh my gosh, as a mental health professional, if I did not see and recognize signs and do something about it, I couldn't live with myself. And so we had uh, an intervention, if you will, in terms of a real, a real heart to heart about what was happening and that help was available. Um, and Erden responded. He actually responded to that. And other things that I was doing, I would watch him and I realized that what was happening was real clear depression. And I couldn't deny it any longer. I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't be angry about it. I needed to understand and recognize what it was. And so thank goodness we made some choices together. I stood by him. Um, he responded to treatment and help, and we were able to move past this. But for me, I, I don't know where I'd be today. I would probably see, still be in a puddle of tears if I had not been able to recognize what was right there in front of me, especially as a professional who's been in this business for years. And, and what the fact that you are a professional, uh, were you somehow blinded to what was happening or, or were you extremely aware of what was happening? Well, in some ways, both Stan, I was, I was angry. I mean, now, now let me put some context around this. It wasn't just the expedition. It wasn't, um, just the fact that I wasn't seeing any movement in him. I had my own stuff going on at that time. My mother died a week after his expedition ended. And so I had a lot of issues around knowing my mother was ill and his expedition was coming to an end. I had choices I had to make. I spent the last five days of her life with her after his expedition ended 
we didn't know she was going to die then, but but she did. And Erden came to be with me during that time as well, which was deeply healing for him and I to be able to reconnect as humans around something as important as my mother's life mm. or death. So for me, I was in my own, I had my own stuff going on. I was also going back to Australia to take another job. So I had to mentally kind of keep it together to leave one job, to start another job, to move back to outside of the country. My mother just died. We had a home in transition. Imagine all those stressors on any one person. And then it hit me about two months later when I was alone in Sydney and he was still in Seattle, not able to get off the sofa. I mean, he was hit hard with this depression and I didn't understand it because I was 15,000 miles away until later. And so I had my own stuff going on that, that then interfered and interacted with his. So it, it got pretty messy and complicated, of course, during that time. But we were able to talk through it and stick together and work through it, fortunately. Wow. So, Erden, would you say that maybe one of the toughest part of the journey was actually when it ended? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I think... I was at peace during the journey, as difficult as it was. I was able to handle it with uh, grace, but the it's it's always difficult for me leading up to the start of a journey and also the aftermath. Uh, and the circumnavigation itself, after a five-year commitment like that, uh, was especially difficult, yes. Yeah. I think we can all understand that. So moving on, today you are joining a team of uh, quote-unquote Vikings on a mission to explore sustainable ways to live. Uh, I see you are proudly wearing the colors of the Viking crew. Uh, You need to tell me or tell us a little bit more about this new adventure. I I went to the website. Uh, It's both fascinating and extremely intriguing. And mm-hmm. and maybe my first question is, is the purpose uh, to find ways to avoid the collapse of our world mm-hmm. or rather to better prepare for the things to come? I think it's both. Uh, the Midgard Viking expedition has the mission to observe and document the solutions that communities have implemented toward a sustainable living It could be simple things as having bicycle lanes or public transportation or recycling programs. It could be solar panels on every roof. It could be uh, wave energy, tidal energy, wind farms, solar farms, you name it. There are many solutions that we can implement that will reduce our impact on Mother Nature. We were, as human beings, 1.9 billion at the turn of 20th century. Today, we are 7 billion. And the number is going to be 9 billion by 2050. We have already reached the carrying capacity of Earth. There is no planet B. And we are long past 
the uh, point where we can be happy with conservation and preservation of habitats, we have to start thinking of how do we restore that? How do we regenerate? We How do we make this a livable place for our grandchildren? Because as human beings, we are in an extractive mode. We are a destruct, destructive species. We leave a wasteland in our path. We need to change our ways and become stewards of this earth. So when the invitation came to Midgard Viking Expedition, I did not hesitate. I said, this is a mission bigger than me. It is a mission that a dozen concerned citizens will take on to make this message heard and start a conversation around this adventure. It will just become our stage and our platform to instigate that conversation. And you're talking about an adventure, and, and indeed, it, it to me, it seems like everything from an adventure to a scientific expedition to a philosophical and spiritual quest. Uh, you know, reading the description on, on the expedition website, uh, I find a lot of spiritual references. Uh, can you talk to me about that? When we have a mission that is bigger than us, it forces us to rise up to that occasion by peeling away comforts that we have on land, having a fairly primitive vessel that, as the Vikings had back in 1000 AD to ply the waters of the oceans and sleeping on wooden decks with no creature comforts to get across these bodies of water, we will be forced to face our fears. We will be forced to face our limitations, but we will find comfort in the team around us. And that exposure and the appreciation of that exposure will also draw others to follow our journey. And in that moment, when they follow us, we will create teachable moments that will give us the opportunity to talk about sustainability and the mission that we have. So I think in that sense, we are creating this opportunity for everyone to participate. Yeah, and that's interesting because honestly, looking at it for the first time uh, a few weeks ago, I was like, do we actually need that? I mean, is there anything that we don't know that those guys are going to discover? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, everything you mentioned about sustainable energy, we know it. I mean, today, a lot of people say, look, we are not looking for solution. We are looking for ways to implement what we need to do. And then thinking a bit more about it, I went like, well, yeah, I mean, there is this spiritual element to it. There is this merging with the element And and maybe maybe yes, there is something to be done there. We're not going on a yacht, right? We don't have all the amenities that a yacht would provide. We will be using this simple uh, Viking vessel that will have stones for ballast, and it will have uh, just the very basics that'll get us across. 
we will not compromise on safety, but we will try to use the methods that they used to get across these bodies of water, make it to the next port, and engage the community there. So each community that we visit, then we'll look at this vessel and say, wow, this is not as elaborate as we had anticipated. This is interesting. What are they doing next? What they have? What have they done? And then when we start talking about them and engaging them about the solutions they've implemented in their community, we will highlight that. We will honor that. We will say, do more of that. And we will show that as an example and showcase that and then take that to the next community and say, what have you done? And then when we have a dozen solutions that have been highlighted on our website, we can say to the world at large, tell us what you have done, send it in and we will publish. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about us going to places. We will invite people to come to us and become, we become a hub, a clearinghouse of solutions, if you will. So Nancy, are you going to be part of this adventure as well? Uh, from a different angle. I don't suffer as well as he does. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I listen. I, am a, I, I know most of the team. I listen to the, the calls they have. I'm intrigued and inspired by the quality of these individuals that have chosen to be part of this journey. They're extraordinary people on every level, physical, emotional, spiritual. They are people that seem to really care deeply about this planet and they demonstrate in their actions who they are as people. So I think it's it's exciting for him to be part of a team that is so professional and so committed to the cause and have the maturity and they're egoless. I think, Stan, that's what I see the most is that these are people without egos and yet they're extraordinarily accomplished, but they're not bringing an ego to this mission. And that's the spiritual piece also, mm. because it takes a certain amount of maturity and connection to this planet to be able to set that ego aside and take on a bigger meaning. And that's exciting. So in that sense, I'm, I'm 100% supportive and will be part of it um, sort of from the outside. Okay. It's not just a journey, mm -hmm. taking this Viking vessel from Oslo around Europe, say, to Ireland and then Portugal into the Mediterranean, all the way to Istanbul, then the Black Sea. I mean, that's the path that we will draw on the charts. But uh, we also have a higher mission uh, uh, to support Climate Park, a climate park in Costa Rica and restoring mangrove habitats in on the coast of Myanmar. The Viking expedition, if you will, is going to be the lightning rod. It will be the story, attractive story with an underlying mission that is much bigger than what it seems. Yeah. It's not obvious, but we need to make this known. So we're looking at a budget of $1.3 million to get everything done. We're not just looking at the expedition itself. We have to pay for the expedition, get it done, and start the expedition, start the conversation. That's just part of it, a small part of it. We will do the sea trials. The vessel is ready. Oh, okay. See, the hull is ready. The mast is up. The sail is together. 
it, the vessel has been registered in South Africa where it was built. We will do the sea trials of this vessel first on a lake behind a dam in South Africa. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. St- starting uh, late January through early February. And then we will ply the waters by Durban on the east side of South Africa. Then we will take the boat to just east of Cape Town. And when the weather allows, we will launch and bring the boat around the Cape into Cape Town for show and tell. All of these are in the works. A dozen uh, sailors we will each travel to South Africa to get this done, receive the proper training. We will have a Danish and a Norwegian sailor come down who are experienced in Viking vessels, uh, re- replica vessels, and they train and certify people to do these. And they will come and train us so that we will be competent when we leave from Oslo in June. Finally, what advice? And and I want to hear from the two of you here, what advice would you have for children who are increasingly anxious about the time to come? Well, I'll begin. Uh, for children, for anyone, people need to wake up and start paying attention to their contribution to destruction of our planet. There are so many simple ways people can adjust their modern or not-so-modern lifestyles to accommodate. I mean, people most impacted, I think, by climate change are the poorest communities around the world. That's where we see it already. But the plastic that is in this world is going to choke us all to death. So until communities and, and seaport nations start dropping into the ocean, that'll wake up maybe uh, those that are wealthier To, to take a look, but already the pollution in the ocean and our unsustainable lifestyles have got to change. And so children can do things every day, whether that's in more progressive countries or other nations, is to begin to, to pick up, to rethink, to use anything sustainable that, that they have, whether it's drinking water, containers, uh, getting rid of plastic, consuming less, our consumption um, is choking us. Okay. So those are just some of the ways. Thank you. We have billions living on earth right now. So yeah. 7 billion was the number we quoted before. And if 10% of that is living in first world lifestyle mm-hmm. and everybody else is aspiring to have the same Just imagine how much pollution that would create. It is their right to aspire to a better living, certainly, but it is just not sustainable. Just imagine multiplying pollution that we have today by seven times, ten times. Yeah. It's already bad enough. And This is going to get much worse before it gets better. So I do not blame Greta for striking uh, <laughs> in coming out of school and saying, you have ruined our future. And I understand the anger that is brewing in the next generation. And I certainly hope that they will make better choices than we have, as our generation has uh, created these problems for them. It'll be up to them to solve it. But then why not speed up that process and start the solutions today? Let's start discussing, talking about this today. Okay. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Elden. Wonderful, Sam. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.